like family with Brenda Donoghue. As we turn from winter to spring, we remember those we have loved and lost through the past two years of this global pandemic. But this spring has brought Europe a new cruelty as the humanitarian crisis unfolds in the Ukraine. On this like family, we reflect on love, loss, resilience and human kindness. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. Ma'am, I was wondering what the price of diesel was here. So it's 195.9. Yeah. 2.40 we paid in Germany in some places, Hazel. Yeah, I know, but still. That's it now, Hayes. On for another bit. <laughs> we may get home. We made it this far, but make it a bit more, hopefully. We will, we will. Filling up their truck with diesel, our mother and daughter, Hazel and Hilary Robinson from Longford. They are just returning from a 2,695 kilometre round trip to the Polish-Ukraine border delivering aid. And I meet them on the last leg of their journey home as they arrive into Dublin port. We chat in their trailer. Brenda, you wouldn't believe this place. It was wedged to the rafters. Loads of stuff for the Ukraine people and there wasn't even room for me and Hazel to sleep or eat. We were trying to find hotels the whole way to Ukraine. <laughs> At night time, we had no place to sleep. So we, we just had to keep winging it as we went. We had nappies, we had non-perishable food. We had what? Well, we had power banks, yeah. sweets for the children. Yeah. The um, letters. Yeah. Tell Brenda about the letters. I had asked a few of the schools locally in Longford, would they draw little paintings, you know, or cards, you know, just something personal. It was all Ukrainians that helped us unpack. There was about five of them there, me and mum, and we just loaded into it, took it all out. But it was very sombre. The the pain, you could feel the, the tenseness of the whole situation. Mummy was going through that drawer up there and she found a lot of the cards that the kids had made. So she said, Hazel, show them this. And as soon as she showed them that, and they were green and they were Irish and they were from little babies and little, you know. The minute I handed them to them people, the barrier just came down, didn't it? We weren't strangers. We had connected on a human level. We that were, makes any sense. We were family. Yeah. It was a mother and daughter yeah. out doing what we were doing. Right. It suddenly clicked with yeah. them. And they started hugging us yeah. and thanking us yeah. in their own That's when language. the smiles came. That's when the tears nearly came. The tears were yeah. there. So it was horrible. It was cold. It was There was lakes froze over. There was buggies lined up. Yes, yeah, soup kitchens lined up of people trying to do their best. But it was so sad. Can I go back to the beginning? Why did you decide to deliver this aid to the Polish-Ukraine border? Tell me a little bit about your trip. With Hungry Horse Outside, we rescue animals dogs, horses, donkeys. So I was on a trip back from Stuttgart after delivering out nine ponies, donkeys. So I was on my way back and I was chugging along and then Hazel rang me. Well, she said, there's these water for women after gathering up loads and loads of stuff to go there. And they're desperately trying to find somebody to bring it out. So I got back on Monday Wednesday, we were loading the stuff into the lorry in Waterford. <laughs> yeah. uh, I said, Thursday, we were on our way, closed doors on our way out. And I just looked at Hayes. I said, now another fine mess you got me into. <laughs> Can you talk to me about what it was like when you got to Hibernia? What did you see? What struck you? Just when we were driving up, the road, the infrastructure is really poor. For two hours prior to getting to Hibernia, you could not get diesel. There was no diesel. We had to fill up with drums of diesel. 
we saw families coming across and men leaving their children and they're kissing goodbye and heading back in their car and dropping off. The day before we got there, because um, it, it's like a bus depot. The girl that I was in contact with, she had stated that the day before, they all just started crying in there because a bus had come in and there was only children on the bus. And their mums had to stay behind because there wasn't enough room where they were coming from and they did not want their kids to die. I'm going to get emotional now because we're tired and now that we're actually at home and we're sitting here and we're actually talking about it, it's just upsetting, isn't it? It's just like, can you imagine having to leave your own child on a bus and not know where they're going? And you don't know what to do and you wish you could do more. That's the thing. We cried coming home because we just, we knew that there's so much more to do and we wish we could do it, but we can't. We have our kids here and you know what just makes you really appreciate how much we are so lucky with our family, with where we come from. I'm sorry, just so emotional now after just saying this. We're very, very lucky people. We are and we um, just need to appreciate what we have because in a blink of an eye, your whole life can change. Mm. I know you feel what you did is a drop in the ocean of what's needed, and but are you proud of yourselves for what you've done and the trip that you've taken? Well, I, it's our drop in the ocean. It's what my, myself and my daughter Hazel did. I am so proud of Hazel. I am so proud of you. I actually am. I have a newfound respect for my mum. She's a wonder woman. But I'm proud of Hazel because I know Hazel hates driving to Longford. <laughs> <laughs> Would most mothers and daughters not just go down and get their nails done or <laughs> go for a bit of it? I, I thought she was going to ask me, oh, ma'am, let's go to a nice hotel and have a, have a, have a, have a spa. No, no. This is another chapter in mother and daughter life. It, we're both older. You change as, as, as Hazel has her children and they're growing up and my kids are all growing up. So we change. Yeah. So we got to know each other again. Yeah. And that was really lovely. Yeah, that was lovely. Brenda, we're heading home now. We still have another two hours under our belt to do together. <laughs> the last lap of the journey. We've filled up with diesel. We're heading home and we are very appreciative to go home to kind families, warm shower, bed and no bombs coming down top of us. I am so thankful that we had this time together and I know we were going through uh, to one of the worst places in the world right now. I just love you to bits. Thank you, Mummy. No. Thank you, Hazel. Thanks. Safe home. Bye. 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 Take care. Bye. And off they go, home to Longford. Lay your head on my shoulder As I kiss you goodnight I whisper the words to your favourite lullaby Carrie Haskins is singing a lullaby to her three-month-old son, Joshua. Her mother, Frances, loved this lullaby. Frances was just 63 when she died of COVID-19 on February the 1st last year, five days after testing positive for the virus. Her daughter, Carrie, living in a thigh, is mum to four children. Frances never got to meet Joshua and Carrie is always thinking about her mother. I'm just thinking about my mum, I suppose, and how she didn't get to meet Joshua. But everyone says that she looks just like him. So he's getting big now, but uh, it's just, it's hard. 
all their little milestones that they're missing but they, they just keep you going so I'm I'm happy in a way that I have a newborn as hard as it is because they're the reason you get up out of bed in the morning when you know the pain takes over you have to just do it for your children. Your mum got Covid and she died very quickly then the shock of that must have been something else for you can you take me back to that time? Yeah, so I was in hospital after having Charlotte. Um, I had Charlotte in January last year, so two babies in the one year. And I was in hospital with her. And I just was speaking to my mum at four o'clock that day. And she said, yeah, I'm I'm okay today, but I'm finding it hard to breathe. This would have been the fifth day she had COVID. She was self-isolating at home with her partner. And she just said, I'll speak to you later. Those famous last words. And at 10 o'clock at night, I had two nurses walk into my room. I was in a private room, thank God. And they just sat me down and said, I have bad news for you. And I immediately thought it was something to do with me. But they said, your mum just passed away. And I stood up in shock and I kind of fell against the wall. And I said, no, she didn't. You're lying to me because I just spoke to her a few hours ago. And I must have sat there for about 10 minutes just rocking back and forth saying, you're lying to me, you're lying to me. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a memory now that comes back a lot and it stops me in my tracks. It's just a horrible, traumatic memory to have. How about the funeral then with restrictions? Yeah, I begged everybody who had my mum's body, could I see her? They, she went straight in a body bag into a morgue and that was it. She was put in the coffin, closed coffin. I couldn't say goodbye to her. It just makes me believe it didn't happen. It just makes it very hard to mourn for someone when you actually can't see them physically go or, or what they look like. So I even searched for artists for weeks. Could they actually try and draw a picture of my mom in her past state? Because I needed to see that in some shape or form. That was my reality. I needed to see that she had gone. It's your smiles. Oh. What are you saying? So Brenda, I've had two babies, obviously, as you can see, and it's the laughter that I miss from my mum. My mum would walk into the house, she could be in the worst mood ever, had the, the hardest day, and she would just make the room light up with her laughter, and she'd say the silliest things, and yeah, she was very generous as well, and would always bring them little gifts and goodies, and it's just so quiet without her. When she passed away, I was so angry at the world. I tried to find out who gave her COVID. I went on a rampage and it did nothing for me. It just made me really bitter. And I was given her notebook uh, that she wrote during lockdown. And she had written stories that I never knew she wrote just before she passed away. A notebook filled of hope for the future and hope that COVID would end and we'd all be together again. I'm now nursing Joshua. Which is great. See how content he is, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> He's very happy there in your Because arms. you're going to read us something. Can you explain what it is? Yes. Yeah, so my mum, with the daycare centre she was involved in, they all were given a notebook and asked while they were sitting at home to make something of their time. And this is a paragraph that was wrote on the 22nd of the 5th, 2020. This was her little description of when I told her I was pregnant on Charlotte. It was the news I was waiting to hear, hope against hope. My daughter told me, casually, in her own way, that she was pregnant. Words could not explain how I felt at that moment. Miracles do happen. And so we'll have a COVID-19 baby. Amongst all the turmoil of our lives, the grief, the destruction COVID-19 has brought, the death toll, fate lends a helping hand. Next year, a child will be born again and we will be blessed again. She never got to meet Charlotte, no. 
no you always say oh my parents are going to go but that's the one thing i've taken from it is just how lucky i am to be alive that's really what she's passed on to me and i want to pass on to my children as well as to try and actually be grateful now for being alive and i was never grateful before so molly will we try the veil on you the lace veil to match your dress yes please will we take a look at you in the mirror yes please now what do you think I really like it. You look gorgeous. I didn't think I wanted a veil, but I think I do now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel happy. Oh, Molly, I love it. After two years of lockdown, today is a special day. It's a family shopping expedition. Nannies Marie and Mary and Mum Neve have all come to the Carriages and Castles communion shop just off Henry Street. Today is special because, I mean, for two years we've been locked away from our families but you know with the parents cocooning and stuff like that they didn't get to see the grandkids as much all doing air hugs and air kisses so it's nice just to to make something special of this lovely occasion and trying on the dresses and making a big special moment for molly because she hasn't had many of them in the last while and i think all the kids her age have dealt with it all very well as well she missed her nannies very much didn't you and your granddad's I love them really much. <laughs> when you say everybody's missed out on so much, on every level, from the older to the younger, mm. can you tell me how it's affected your family? Well, when my mum and dad were cocooning, we would go up with food and just stand at the garden gate. We wouldn't go near them, no touching, no hugging, no nothing. And it was for a long time, and then my dad then passed away in the September. So all that kind of wasted time, not being able to hug or give him a kiss. Luckily we did before he passed away because we came out of lockdown and I got my first hug off him and I was delighted that was in June when they celebrated their 50 years wedding anniversary and then he passed away in September. First of all, what was your dad's name? Oh, Tommy. So we were celebrating 50 years um, wedding anniversary in my mum's house. But um, we were all celebrating out in the garden. And then when we were leaving, he gave me a big hug and told me how much he loved me. So it was very special. Can you remember the funeral as well? Were there COVID restrictions at the time? Yeah, at the time there was only 50 allowed. His brothers couldn't come back over from England or anything like that. So it was hard because if he had had like the proper funeral with no COVID restrictions, the place would have just been jammers. I just appreciate being able to go to the shops, one, be able to have like the two grandmothers, my daughter here with us. And I just appreciate just the freedom. I think you appreciate your family more, being without them for so long and then neighbours as well. I just feel like years ago, people always relied on their neighbours. That dwindled away and I just think there's a sense of that now again. Being without everyone for so long, I just appreciate them a lot more now and the little things. Now, Molly, so you like the dress? Yeah. Yeah. So what do we see what we have on it? So you've got lace on the bodice and then we have a lace little bolero on you. Will we do a twirl and let your mummy see? Yes, please. Gorgeous, gorgeous girl. I think the dress is beautiful on her. It's really dainty and it suits her little frame. It's mm. just perfect. Very emotional, like, to think that she's she come so far. Can't believe she's eight. <laughs> so, Molly, are you saying yes to the dress? Yes. And now I'd like to invite John and Eddie to stand for me, please. John, will you have Eddie to be your wedded husband? I certainly will. Will you love and comfort him in sickness and in health? I will. Eddie, will you have John to be your wedded husband? I do. Will you love <laughs> and comfort him in sickness and in health? I so do. <laughs> <laughs>
John and Eddie have solemnly bound themselves in wedlock before these witnesses, their family and friends. And by virtue of the authority vest me with the Civil Registration Act, I'm now delighted to pronounce you husband and husband. You may kiss your husband. Seven years ago, I attended John and Eddie's wedding. And those vows that they said there are as important now as when they first said them. I catch up with John and Eddie and find them spring planting in the Ivy Trust community garden. You want to dig out good and deep there now, Eddie? Get them spirits out. Keep going. As you're looking here, we have rhubarb in the ground already popping up. But we're now coming into a new season as the rhubarb is coming up and I have to prune back. One of my passions is we have grapes. Imagine we're growing grapes. Maybe the Ivy Trust wine could be something to be fun in a way. This garden has been a light, especially during COVID. It's allowed us to come together, but not together. Because we have to realise we've done, what, four seasons? That's over two years being here. We never got a chance to communicate, but this has allowed us a space to openly communicate together and grow. And this community garden took on an extra importance and became a vital space of sanctuary for Eddie and John. In January 2021, Eddie was diagnosed with throat cancer. I was told straight out I was having major operation. I was going to be told part of my tongue was going to be taken away. I told uh, my tonsils and my operations after operations before I even started treatment. So already the realisation was what was next. They threw the kitchen sink and as my consultant, Dr. Lennon, which I cannot thank enough, and Dr. Brennan in St. Luke's, they threw the kitchen sink and the bat at me and they sunk me deep into it. But within weeks, it already was affecting me. My body was already breaking down. Didn't realise I hadn't ate in four weeks. I couldn't get anything past my throat. I already was losing my voice. And for those who know me, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a voice. He was in the hospital for five weeks, so I couldn't visit him for five weeks. I suppose one good thing was he um, was on the ground floor of St. Luke's and he had a window so he could see out. So I was able to go and visit him. And then his friend Thomas would come and put lights on a little birdhouse outside the window so the birds would be around. And at night time the lights would light up. So at least he'd have something to look at. COVID somewhat helped insofar as when, you know, somebody's diagnosed with something as bad as cancer, the community and the family around want to help as much as they can. The fact that people couldn't come and visit and people couldn't come to see how Eddie was kind of helped because he had no energy. So he had no food. And he would make the him. effort and talk to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all Eddie yeah, can we talk. Know that. We know yeah. Eddie can talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's why some of them in the, uh, in the Ivy Trust were delighted when he lost his voice. <laughs> And, and somewhat disappointed when he got it back afterwards. <laughs> there were experiences and, and people who really, I suppose, touched his heart. You have Rita, who crochets lovely blankets, who made a blanket for him. So that actually went into the hospital with him and was somewhat a, a tactile instrument for him, that he knew there was kind of, I suppose, love within the blanket itself. Everybody meant well and mm-hmm. was there to support, but from a distance because of COVID. So yeah. COVID, there was a little blessing for for us and that we didn't he didn't have to have the energy to see people coming in all the time because he had zero energy how has it affected your relationship 
or your bond together. It definitely makes you appreciate your partner more, the foundation of your relationship more. When I started this journey, I said to my friends straight out, don't worry about me. Give John the strength to keep strong. And by giving him the strength to keep strong, that will give me the strength to keep going and to actually live. But I knew that once John had the strength, I knew that I could lean on him. Most importantly, going back to our beginning of our journey, when we said, at our vows, I do, that is where a realisation of the love I have for John as my husband and my soulmate. I have hope in us, but most importantly, I love you so much and I can't do this without you. And thank you. Well, that's what the vows are for in sickness and in health. You can't just walk away when things get tough. You've got to keep going. And I love you too. Зайчик, очень переживаем. Это Лена, Лена здесь. Как у вас день прошел? Ну, как у нас не очень. В общем-то, окна трусятся, все страшно. Юлия и Елена are sisters from Ukraine, but living and working as piano teachers in Swords. They are calling their cousin Gabby in war-torn Sumy in the northeastern region of Ukraine. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, 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 I hear you. Russian soldiers often shoot at cars and uh, yeah. it's horrible. I, I scary. Uh, I don't know how evacuated. For three days, no water, no electricity. At shops, milk, bread, uh, that is all. You um, can get only nothing else. Держитесь там, берегите себя. God bless you and your kids and family. And love you so much. Yeah, love you so much Thank and stay you. safe. Bye, 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 honey, bye. Love you. Julia and Elena, you've just been talking to your cousin. This is the start of your day, Julia. I live with my mom and uh, my mom coming from the very like big family. It's 11 brothers and sisters. So uh, on the 24th and 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 in the morning, we received a phone call and her brother said, Zina, they started bombing, and that's where the life uh, completely changed forever. We, we can't feel this life anymore. We can't taste the food. It's just changed. What, what only Ukrainian people who is abroad can do is just pray, try to monitor and be on the phone 24-7 with all the relatives because I have my dad there, I have my cousins, nieces, nephews, friends, colleagues, and they're all in such a big danger at the moment. Every day actually bring the pain. And uh, of course, we start in day, whatever possible time to text uh, if they're okay, if they're alive. If they have, of course, connection, because most of the time they don't have any phone connection. And this is the worst part, when you don't know what's actually going on, because they, they just quiet, they silence nobody on, the, on that side. Elena, you have your dad out there, you have many cousins in great danger. It must be really, really awful. Were you a close family growing up? Absolutely, yeah. We were so close. We never called cousins cousins. We called them brothers and sisters. And it came uh, from our grandparents who went through the Second World War. And they were always brought up together, the whole family. And they were always saying, it's no matter what, your family, 
you know, is the most important, that you have to take care of each other, you have to uh, help and support each other, no matter what. It's so devastating now at the moment, knowing that what's going on there. And I feel myself helpless, even though I try to be on the phone 24-7, trying to organize certain things, you know, if they leave the SUMI. It's complete nightmares. It's emotionally, I'm personally, and Yuli and my mom, we're all emotionally and mentally stressed out so much because we can't help physically. So, Elena, can I go back 20 years? You came to Ireland. That was a good decision for you and your family? Absolutely, yeah. I moved to Ireland about 20 years ago and my main mission from, you know, back then was to bring my sister over here, you know, to stay with me. It's the most amazing thing that you could have as your family. No, I wanted her to knock my door and be able to come and talk to me in the evening. So 10 years ago, uh, Yulia came into Ireland and my mom and, you know, we are together since then. And we live close by uh, in Swords and we work together as well. Listen, Brenda, uh, as it's going forward, I can't express enough uh, how I'm grateful to my sister. She's my angel, obviously, who saved my life, my, my son. And of course, she helped me in everything. Well, look, Ukraine is beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. Such a beautiful architect and um, heritage and the uh, monuments, churches. It's just special. They can't take Ukrainian spirit and music, our music, it's our spirit. Everyone's singing, you can hear anthems from every corner and they still singing and playing because it's what hold them and what keep us alive. I know that, I believe in that we will win. And Brenda, and if you let me, I would love to play for our audience a beautiful tune composed by legendary Ukrainian composer Miroslav Skorik. It's called Melody. And I feel this melody, this music can show what we feel and show our spirit and power and soar. Glory to Ukraine. That's all from this like family. Thanks to all the families who spoke to me. Thank you for listening. And we leave you with Yulia playing for us the Ukrainian tune, Melody. Melody.